Online communities, classroom culture, and personal relationships have something in common. Whether it's forming a strong emotional bond, feeling included and accepted, or having an attachment to others, feeling like we belong makes us happy. Ever wonder why? Join me, Dr. Eileen Winokur, for my bi-weekly podcast, Journeys to Belonging, as I discuss my personal and professional experiences with belonging and interview educators and others as they share their stories of belonging. At the end of every episode, I'll offer advice about how we can all feel like we belong. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. On my podcast today, I have somebody that I have admired from afar for a long time. We were supposed to meet at TESOL, but we didn't get to, but that's okay. We've decided we have to do that in the future, but she's somebody I really admire. I've always been really interested in her work with ESL students, with newcomers, and I've learned a lot from her and all that she does. But let me say that my guest is Carol Salva. And Carol, welcome. Oh, Eileen, thank you so much. I, it's such a thrill to be here. And people should know, we, I mean, we should have already met by now, right? Yes. <laughs> we, we yeah. really should have. And yeah. we've been connected. You're part of that power PLN, you know, the ones that I'm always checking what you say. I, I've Thank learned you. from your work. We do similar work. We have such a passion for supporting refugees in the world. And you, um, I, you put out such good content over the years. And I was just so jealous whenever I would see you oh, you're so in sweet. pictures with, <laughs> with other people that we know in the PLN, you know, people put pictures of when they meet their network, uh, folks in their network in real life. And you're on the other side of the world you, most of the time. And so I knew we were going to meet at TESOL and then we didn't. So I'm so glad we have this. I'm so honored to be here and to be a part of your work at all. Oh, but thank you, don't Carol. know, but we can see each other right now because we're doing this over Zoom. Yeah. So I, love it. I feel yeah. like we're almost together. That's true. <laughs> That's true. It's close enough, especially during the, these times. That's about, right? about the best we can do. So that's okay. So Thanks. Carol, I really didn't talk too much about you or give your bio. Can you tell uh, our listeners a, a little bit more about what you do if they, they aren't familiar with your work? Absolutely. I am, well, I live in Houston, Texas with my husband and my family, and I grew up here and I became a teacher later in life. I was, I struggled as a student. I grew up in a, an economically disadvantaged area of Houston here. Uh, beautiful because it's very cultural and my parents immigrated here and I just struggled as a young person, a lot of bad choices, but wow. when, yeah, when I, when I uh, changed careers, when I had my children in my thirties, I'd matured a bit by then. And so <laughs> I became a teacher 
and I didn't mean to stay in it. You know, it was one of those things that, well, I'll do this and see how this goes. I'm going to have children. Maybe this will help. And I fell in love with it like so many people do. And I went back and taught right in the neighborhood where I grew up. And that's awesome. such a blessing. It's such a blessing to have a lens for students who might be struggling in that area. I mean, like geographic area and, and go back and appreciate the people who were trying to help you back then, even if you weren't <laughs> taking advantage of that. Yeah. And so it just gave me a great lens for the language learners and some marginalized populations and, so I, I got a bilingual certification. I taught special education, elementary education, and I was pulled out of that to help across our district as a specialist. I became the secondary dual language uh, specialist in my district, and it was very exciting to be taking dual language into our uh, middle and high schools. And then um, I became an Abydos writing trainer, so I'm a writing coach. And then a, a few years down the line, a few years ago, actually, so it was quite a bit down the line, we started getting a, an influx of refugees. And this was different. Not that our district hadn't had uh, second language learners, even students that were behind academically, but these students were, came all at once, just the way that it happened. And they, they actually settled in a, in a feeder pattern that didn't have a lot of economically disadvantaged oh, students wow. compared yeah. to some of the others, right? That's there was so a interesting, sliver. yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because there's a sliver of poverty there mm -hmm. and an apartment complex in that feeder pattern uh, made a deal with Catholic charities that, you know, they would help with right. rent for a while. And it, it just created a scenario that none of us were prepared for. Even the specialists, because that wasn't a campus that needed my assistance, you know, like, like oh, some of the other yeah. campuses that I was always working at. So we, it all happened at once. It was all a little uh, crazy how huge the numbers were. So after a few months, my department decided, uh, they offered me an opportunity to go and be the teacher in the classroom. I went in and became the teacher of that classroom in November. And so you, I don't know if people listening, educators know what it is to take over a class after a few months. Yeah, um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of like being the sub and yeah. It's, oh, yeah. yeah, especially with a, a group of students who are coming in and have different language abilities and different stories. And yes. oh gosh, trying to you know, play catch up, yeah. We had some of our top-notch teachers in that building, and they would have the, what's the middle school was where I was uh, where I was placed because the elementary students, although it was a big issue, they're a little more pleasers, you know, in that age, and right. the older ones in high school, again, big issue, but they're a little more mature. Yeah. It was the middle school group. Oh, <laughs> it God. was the middle school group, and they were the biggest group, you know that class grew to over 30 students and they, you know, very early on. Mm -hmm. And so we had some teachers that were really up on their game, but in middle school, there was a schedule, you know, where you would go to this teacher and then that teacher oh, and then right. that teacher. And so, um, it was, it was very jarring for the students. They didn't, right. many of them did not have any formal education and were coming right into a regular comprehensive middle school 
And so, and we didn't have a teacher and we didn't really have a teacher because they did have double blocks of ESL yeah. uh, or English additional language, but there was no teacher for that class. Oh. They were being uh, shared. There were, there were teachers that actually had you know, the rest of their days also. So I guess um, what we felt that we needed to do was mimic a newcomer center or a newcomer strand within that school. That's what we didn't have a teacher for. It's not that they didn't have a teacher. It's that we didn't have a teacher for that scenario. Right. And we tried to get one. We couldn't keep one. It was just, you know, we had just substitutes and things. Yeah. And so when we, we, we just needed to give the, the, the teachers there more support. They yes. just deserve more support. So right. they put me in that classroom and I just tried to figure out how to teach a class like that. There wasn't a book at the time for yeah. students with interrupted education or minimal or limited or no formal education coming into secondary at that time. This was four years ago. Yeah. And so, but you know what is interesting, Eileen, and I know you know this, is yeah. that all of the information was actually out there because what worked eventually was just layering a lot mm -hmm. of things that we do know in the field about, yes. of course, second language acquisition, of course, um, social, emotional, you know, basic foundations of literacy is just so many things. Right. Yeah. It's a matter of, like you said, having the support to be able to put it all together so that it makes sense. And not just for the teacher, but also for the students. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I, in the meantime, you've hit the ground running and you know, oh. you, so oh, it was constantly <laughs> feeling like you're behind. Yeah. Well, and I was oh, because yeah. the, I, the, the interesting thing was I had spent years, almost a decade supporting teachers to show and model best practices for sheltered instruction and second language acquisition. Yeah. Now I'm in the classroom. It's very humbling. Yeah. It is very humbling to go, <laughs> I back bet. go okay, now yeah. let me try this. And things were not working. Things were not working. And so, you know, because there were other things. I, I didn't know at the time well enough how you teach someone to read from zero, right? Like they can't read in their language, this language, any language. So second language acquisition mm. without an understanding of some yeah. foundations of literacy, yeah. it, you know, you, you kind of need to have both to get to really make yes. some headway with yes. students and then be able to adapt that because it's not the same as you're teaching a four right. or five year old to read. And right. so anyway, I learned by fire and the yeah. students best teachers because they were already, by the time I took over, they were so frustrated mm. that there were classroom brawls daily. Oh and my. Not just, yeah. Oh yeah. Hitting in each other's faces was one of the ways we communicated with each other. Just a lot mm. of hitting and punching and shoving and grab. I mean, it was so oh, goodness. I know, but the, you uh, know it's ironic. ironically, you know, we ended up writing the boosting achievement book about this scenario and then what the things that work. Yeah. Uh, that's just how it started. Actually. What was ironic was the, the students ended up to be at the end of the school year. We sent them off impressive scholars. I don't mind telling you every one of them you would want to have in your class. Wow. They are, um, they're, they're kids, right? Yeah, people yes. and people in a circumstance that they were frustrated yes. about. Right, and we learned it's so. Much. It must have been really scary for them too. 
Yeah, yeah. Imagine if anyone put yeah. you in that scenario, you would, yeah. I, I, at, at first you'd be just like them, quiet, the beginning of the year, quiet, scared. Then after a while, you're yeah. starting to get frustrated. Yeah. Every day, you're getting more and more frustrated. Right. And so I don't, I mean, it was very, in that age, yeah. And it's, it's really hard to take a step back also because you're in the midst of it. So actually to be able to stand back and reflect seems counterintuitive. But if you don't do that, you really can't figure out what's going on. You don't, you don't see the bigger picture, right? It's all reflection. I just wrote yeah. a chapter for Larry Ferlazzo for his new book about mm. uh, reflection and reflective teaching because it was yeah. what changed everything and you know another thing that's ironic is those kids um we never opened that newcomer center that we thought we were going to open that we thought they needed really oh wow not, that was not the answer for us yeah because i mean if you have one you have so many advantages sure because you have the downside. support yeah yeah but there's a downside there's always pros and cons sure so if you have one capitalize on the on the pros yeah and just mitigate whatever the downside is. Right. But if you don't have one, yeah. there are a ton of pros. There are a ton of advantages to not having one. Right. And there are some disadvantages that you have to mitigate. So yeah. for us, the, the solution moving forward was, yeah, to have an extra class for these students yeah. that would help them with that uh, language acquisition and culture and all that. Mm. Um, it, but having them with native language peers, supporting the teachers to understand right. how to help students be integrated in a mainstream yes. classroom with a low stress and welcoming environment. Right. Um, that's where we saw, or at least I've seen the kids make the biggest gains moving yeah. forward afterwards. Yeah. So anyway, that's a long story because the, the end of that is yeah. that's what got me so passionate in the same kind of things you're passionate in that and that marginalized populations, people who've been through trauma, people who've been through such hard things, right. forcibly displaced. Yes. And that those, uh, I just have a strong passion helping people uh, in that, in those circumstances and the students are the, <laughs> the hope, right? Of the yes. For what's ahead of us. Yeah. So from that, I was placed in a high school the next year. I never went back to that specialist position. We started writing this book and I finished it as a high school teacher. Yeah. And as a high school, I taught two years. I never had those same kids again uh -huh. because I'm the newcomer teacher. So I only yeah. have the kids one year. But the high school kids, I got, it's interesting for our scenario now yeah. because I only see them a couple of times a week. And I would, uh, I only had them a teeny part of their day because oh. I was, I was an elective teacher. In yes. Oh, okay. So, uh, but it's a, it's a, a mandatory elective if you're a newcomer or, a, you know, a student okay. with interrupted education or any, you know, we don't yes. have any kind of refugee program at our high right. school. It's just, or, or students with interrupted education. There's no programs. Yeah. Because the expectation is they come into high school prepared already. You, and you if they need don't, that extra, yeah. Yeah, and if they don't, they have a class to help them with their language acquisition. Right. Yeah, and they have um, they have the regular they have what everybody else has. If they don't meet expectations because they don't have the math, yeah. they have tutorials. They have summer school. They have more okay. opportunities to take those classes again. Yeah, and so again, that's the downside of not having a special mm. program. 
but we have things that we put in place that are supporting them. Right. Um, I didn't even put some of the things in place. The students, the, the community put together like a one world club that has peer tutoring. We have great education partners in the area. Oh, nice. And we've seen some amazing things. Um, yeah. This graduating class this year are the eighth graders that I had when I wrote first it, from the, um, from the class I was just telling you about, the African- Yeah, I was gonna ask you, do you keep in touch with them or do you have any sort of stats or data to find out how they're doing? Oh, yeah, because I still live, I live down the street from that school. Oh, wow. And a lot of the kids moved away. Many of them moved away, but I have, my own children are that same age. Okay. So because everybody's all integrated, they're friends, you know? Yeah. They're, captain of the soccer team there you know um in our summer school classes in Mm -hmm. our tutorial classes but also they help us give professional development whenever we need a student voice they're the first ones that are happy to come and tell you what helps a newcomer who's gaining literacy and so a few of them still um it's definitely and then um their parents are i'm Mm. still friends with because i just love the families, right? Yeah. So we do, yeah. not that everybody is just, you know, way ahead of the game. Every, everybody is at their own place and, right. but everybody's moving, everybody I've kept in touch with is moving forward, nice. you know, um, and we do have some, a couple of kiddos that I even mentioned in the book that I know are graduating this year. And because they passed our state assessments at many, and after they had failed them, yeah. Many times, but mm-hmm. they did pass them eventually and they're graduating with their peers on time, some of them. And they excellent. Again, I know. Again, they don't read in their native language still. We would love yeah. for them to. Yeah. But they they read enough in the target language that they're successful. And, yeah. And going to college, Eileen. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. That is so awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I, when I was teaching, I always thought I taught third grade for four years and I always thought it's not what I think of them during this year. It's how they do the following year. So I would always check on them. How are they doing in the fourth grade class? Cause you know, I've always felt that they were doing okay. You know, I had my days or whatever, but just like you're saying, it's not until you really see them move on that you yeah. look back and you go, Oh, I guess it was okay. I guess. I, and I was a part of that. Yes. You get to feel like yes. I moved them yes. forward. Yeah. And that's so hard for newcomer teachers to, for me, when I, when I was in the classroom right. to, to have that vision right. and not go, well, cause you know, it just looks like it looks so difficult. Yes. And then, especially if they don't have literacy and they're older, right. you think what's the hope, you know, oh my gosh. Yeah. And you have to see these kids a few years down the line and go, oh, oh, we're the hope right now. Yeah. <laughs> Everything we do. Yes. And I had to just lift up every teacher that had the kids on the way because yeah. I did check in. One of, one of these kiddos is good friends with my son, Anthony, yeah. and they would just tell me the coaches, the math teachers, yeah. that everybody, they don't give up on kids. They don't give up on kids. And that's yeah. all you need as a child is people not to give up on you. Right. So I'm, I'm amazed and I'm honored and I just love everything teachers do. It's just incredible. So yeah. that's my thing. That's how I got, that's how we wrote the book. I wrote, I co-authored a book with Anna Mattis called Boosting Achievement, Reaching Students with Interrupted or Minimal Education. And that book came out just a couple of years ago 
I was still teaching high school. I, ne I never went back to the specialist role. I stayed in the classroom and continued to tinker and tweak and learn from students. Oh, Eileen, I've tapped into a PLN. I think I met you on Twitter. I know it was when I was still teaching high school and desperately yes. asking people out there, yes. what do you do? You know, <laughs> the things that happen, yes. like one year you get, oh, you're not going to have a classroom anymore. This is your cart. Mm. And your cart is how you will go around right. because we, you know, we didn't have any choice with this school was yeah. just so packed with, with, uh, students that we didn't, I didn't have a classroom. And so right. I go out to Twitter and I'm like, okay, how, how do I do this when environmental print is everything that I've, you know, and, and Twitter has answers. They do. So, it's amazing. Yeah. If you build the kind of PLN that, that you really can rely on and uh, sort of feeds into your your areas of interest there are just so many people out there who are so willing to help so that's why i appreciate yeah. you so much because ah, thank you. Uh, there i thought i was alone you do you feel like you're the only one that does yes. this one thing and yes. then you and then you tap into somebody else and you see oh my gosh and she's writing blog posts exactly about this and she <laughs> she works with the parents and the kids and I, you know it all, I, I just I just it blew me away how quickly I could ramp up like you said with the right network yes yeah yeah and we have to rely on each other it's really important it's it's all sort of part, that part of that connection that we make and and that, you know, that group, that community, that belonging. So um, one of the questions I, I always ask my, my um, guests is about belonging. But since you've already started talking about what you were facing in that classroom that you went back into, talk about a little bit, I think, without saying the word relationship, I think you sort of alluded to, to being able to make that connection with your students. So if, if I say sense of belonging or the word belonging, what, what comes to mind uh, in relation to those students who have interrupted education or, or lack that education? Um, what, how do you create that bond with them to, to make them feel secure and safe in your classroom? Yeah, I, I feel like I was really blessed because I was coming to that campus first once a week, then twice a week, then as you know, and I, I, I wasn't helped. I didn't feel like I was helping at all. All right. I could do, I felt like was give the teacher a break, whoever was the teacher at the time, give them a little bit of a break, but it was hard to keep the class, uh, you know, under control. Yeah. And so I felt blessed because I could observe from the outside. And like you said, it, if you're not, in it, if you're not the mm -hmm. one teaching, it's easier to see things. Right. So when I when I did uh, end up being the teacher, I felt like one of the things that would help the most them and me is to help them feel more part of the school, part right. of, uh, and because it, it felt very us against them by the time I took it over because they. They stayed together as a big group. They rode the bus as a group. There yeah. was another group in the apartments where they lived. You know, they all lived in the same apartments. Mm -hmm. And there was another group of, of Mexican kids. This is, I say Mexican because that's what the kids kept calling them. And they, so when I shared my culture, yeah. because I started, 
I started with a um, almost like a circle time. I tried to go back to my elementary days of yeah, and I didn't have much social emotional learning uh, uh, training, but I knew the good things had come out of circle time when I right. taught elementary. So I started by sharing, you know, my parents are from Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so m this is my heritage. And I, I, I wanted to show them like to open a space for them to feel first, like they belonged in this classroom yeah. and then belonged in the bigger school and then belonged in the, of course, in the community. community and, yeah. and I was interrupted. I was interrupted by a child that went one student and I wrote about him in the introduction because he interrupted me. He had a little more English than the other ones. And he, he basically told me that I was a good Mexican. Oh, <laughs> I know in broken English, oh, in broken English, he yeah. told me you're a good Mexican, but not all the Mexicans are good. And I was like, you know, um, you know, like, why would you say that? And he started to explain and all the kids got excited. See, by November, they could understand more. Right. And, and then there's, he's speaking in and out of Americ, which sounds like a, 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 uh, Arabic. And some of them, even though they spoke all these different languages, kids understand kids. Yeah, and the right. body language and all yes. that stuff. Yeah. Yes. yes. So he started telling me, Francis was telling me, that the Mexican students, basically what it boiled down to were the Hispanic kids in the apartments had started bullying this group of African kids. There just became this rivalry. Yes, yeah. They would get on the bus, they were uh, making fun of how they smelled and different mm. things. You know, they were trying, you know, they just had totally different cultural norms yes. than, than their community. And so there were just different, um, you know how kids are yeah cultural so, clashes uh, yes yeah and then yeah and especially at that age too so the belonging piece yeah i mean it just hit me in the face that first circle time that this is so this goes so much deeper than what i can see yes and, and where where they're getting upset from even and so i mean i can imagine something so i really felt like having that opportunity. So of course I was explaining that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm from Mexico or they're from Mexico or, yes. or, or anything like that. Yes, yes. Open a space for those yeah. conversations. And also it's for storytelling. For yes. you shared your story so then it gives them the ability to share their story, which makes oh, them, would, you know, so much yeah. yeah it was such they don't a often gift. take time to do. Yeah. No, and you know what? So much. That's what I. That's what I stumbled upon down the road was those things, those stories, those sharings. We I could write down a little at a time what they were telling me as a collective group, and yeah. and eventually when I got more and more training every day, yeah. they what we were doing was co-creating text. We were co-creating text and I was actually, John Seidlitz came to watch me because eventually this got very good. At, mm -hmm. at the beginning, it was very bad. <laughs> and and they were sort of cobbling together what, you know, what oh. you knew and then getting the reaction oh. from the students to see if it worked. So, you yeah, know, but in the middle of it, it, oh gosh. In the middle of it, like you would like one step forward yeah. and five steps back because I would, we'd have circle time, but then somebody would throw something and then another classroom oh. probably oh, would break gosh. up. Like, okay, oh. no, we need to go back to like, what is, 
in, in my classroom management, when I had, I had really good yes. classroom management, that didn't work initially. Anyway, yeah. it, it was, it was like a little fishbowl of, uh, cause I started filming myself. People suggested I film and watch the film. Yes. So I could see what was working and what wasn't and you have to yes. focus. Anyway. Yes, there's so much you can see when either somebody's observing it from the outside yes. or you can see it yourself sort of later on. Yes, Again, so you that become your own observer. Piece. Yeah, you because do. a lot of times we're doing things we don't even realize that we're doing. No. Yeah. That is it. That is everything. Or you don't yeah. see where things go off the rails even because they're like literally happening behind sure. you and you see that. You know, there's so many things you don't sure. see. Sure, sure. So this yeah. belonging this belonging piece. Yeah. Once, once we had the class feeling like they belonged in the class because there were little alliances in the class. Oh, the class had, sure. th because they were family members, a lot of siblings in the class and different oh, I things. I see, yeah. A real kind of volatile. And so once we created a classroom culture and that, yes. um, you know, I write about that in the book, but I also have free yes. on my blog, how you, we used a social contract and how that worked. Right. I, I'll give Eileen the links to all of this because you don't need to, to, to buy the book at all to see what worked. I was blogging the whole time. Oh, wow. And I had yeah. The, the, the stuff out there. So, so the belonging in the classroom, uh, it, it became what helped them get literate because when you write with kids about them, Right. They, they, I feel like they feel the sense of belonging in that piece of text. Sure. That's why environmental print, I mean, you know, I'm doing this on chart paper. I'm doing this where everyone can see and read along and track the print. And of course they're more interested in that course, text yeah. about them. Yeah. They don't even realize they're learning. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. And, oh my goodness. And then after a while we were very explicit about their metacognitive awareness about that learning because they start to get some phonetics and some sight words and they're older sure. and you can explain the process to them. Sure. Just so many, yeah. so many things, but it has to start with belonging. Yeah. Where do you belong? Do you feel these kids were all ripped from different lives of, you know, where they felt they had belonged. Right. And then, and then maybe they went to another place where they didn't feel like they belonged sure. and now they're here. And do they feel like they belong? Right. And so I, I learned so much from them and I would think that the belonging was at the heart of everything that worked. Wow. Yeah. 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 There's, there's one quote I came across um, of yours. It says, our classes must always be a place of refuge. No matter what is happening in that child's life, they had, they need to feel safe with us. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's so important, um, especially in relation to your work, is that yeah. even though, because uh, I know the, the, the uh, content objective, the language objectives, they're all really, really important. And the learning com that comes out of all that they do in the classroom is so important. But as you said, if they don't feel they're in a safe space where they're in a part of a community where everybody is supporting them, it's very difficult for them to go that extra step and feel comfortable with what they're learning and expose themselves to possibly making mistakes, which as we know, if we don't make mistakes, we really don't learn. So right, right? just in those two sentences, it was like, oh gosh, I love that quote. 
And definitely you, I'm post that quote too. I, I'm going to put it on a buncey and post it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you yeah. so much, Riley. Yeah. Because, you know, it's interesting. I was so stressed about not understanding enough about the literacy piece, right? I knew I needed to get some foundations of literacy training, even though I had been a fourth grade teacher. I knew guided reading. I knew, but the, the very, very foundations. And, but the ironic thing is, it is that do they feel safe? Because I can have the best strategies in the world. I right. can have every, um, I can be so sharp in my pedagogical sword, you know, Absolutely, I can have all of yeah. that. But if they don't feel safe with yeah. me, with us in right. here, right. Um, that falls flat. All of it's going to fall flat. Yes. I don't care how good you are at whatever and how much yeah. training you've had at whatever. If a yeah. student, if a person doesn't feel like they can be vulnerable then their guard is up and when your guard is up if you have training and sheltered instruction and just you know follow Stephen Krashen's work about the affective filter when your guard is up when you are anxious when you are nervous when you are preoccupied with how you feel uh, or how people view you all of that yep learning doesn't go through that filter goes up and learning doesn't happen as you can imagine you're preoccupied with those things so at the yeah. end of the day, I feel that if you have kids forgetting that they're learning a language mm-hmm. or, or very, um, you know, uh, in the learning, very yes. engaged, yes. very, very engaged, yeah. then you, you actually would rather have that than years of experience in learning. I, I couldn't figure out how come some of them were learning to read because I didn't have it under my tool belt yet, right? Right. So some of them, I was just oh, wow. doing things I saw. I was just reading with kids. I was trying some things. And, but they, some of them were feeling so comfortable about the process yes. that you know from their lens, they're attending more, sure. right? They're doing it more. I stopped yes. the reading process and they continue because they're in it. Yes. And so they're in the flow. Yes. They're already right. in the flow. Yes. Yes. That yes. we need that yeah. quote, what you're saying, yeah. teachers, I feel we need more of that than anything. Yes. Making yeah. kids feel like this is a place where you can take risks, where you can be vulnerable, where you can yes. be just, you know, um, super comfortable about yes. What's going to happen if you're wrong? What's mm-hmm. going to happen if you say something and didn't come out yes. quite right? Yes. You know, and that you it's have- okay to say something to begin with. Because, you Absolutely. know, and in in just in a basic language classroom, without all the newcomer refugee types of experiences with interrupted ed- education, students already feel a lack of confidence in their ability to, to put themselves out there. So if Absolutely. that safe space isn't created for them, there's no way that they're going to take chances. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And you know, we are in, a, a, right, like we're recording this in the spring of 2020 here. Oh, in yes. Right? yes. And so we're in the middle of um, a time when teachers are very nervous. Yes. Like our own affective filters are up because Absolutely. we're having to learn so much about how to teach students. But what I'm trying to focus on is the fact that we can still create environments, virtual environments, you know, whether it's face-to-face, virtual or hybrid, some, we can still create a space where students are comfortable in their learning. Yes. In fact, 
some of the stuff when I went to the high school, I had to figure out how to inspire kids to do things when they weren't with me. That's the name. That was the name of the game because when I went and it was just every other day, right. Those kids ended up learning even faster at a faster rate because I already knew the kids the year before had taught me some things. (laughs) I started the year differently and I just continued to learn about you know, how to help people find their motivation, how to be explicit with older learners about how they're learning and different things. And at your house, when no one is there and you have opportunities to practice, practice, practice what you want to say, because you're going to have a synchronous opportunity in two days to talk with your class or you, you know, there's some, there are some advantages. Yes. Yeah. And I've actually read that there are students who weren't thriving in a classroom situation who are now thriving in a remote learning um, situation, which is, which is really interesting. Um, well, and I know everybody's yeah. What? Yeah. I just said, you're right. Every, yeah. Keep going. Cause I think yeah. I was going to say, the same thing. No, Everybody. And, and nobody really knows who that is, you know, and you know, eventually maybe we'll go back and do a study on it or something, but nobody really understands why that's happening. And of course, Teachers are doing different things. Districts and provinces are doing different things. Nobody really knows what's what what's going to happen. And I know going well, back, everybody's quite worried about the you know because we're all living in sort of a traumatic situation. And so, right. going back, you know, I think it's really important to make sure that that we have that you know sense of belonging and relationships. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, what you're saying is resonating with me so much because I think when I was in the classroom and it felt traumatic to me, even though it was nothing compared to what the kids had been through, sure. I, I was going through such a shift in, in my reality right. where I had in my mind what teaching looks like, right? I'd done it for years. I, you know, yeah. now it didn't look, it, it didn't look like uh, what, what I thought it should look like wasn't working. Yeah. And so I had, I felt blessed that I had been following a guy named Alan November and oh, he wrote yeah. a book. Oh yeah, he's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, you know, Alan November, yes. right? Yeah. And so this will resonate with you a lot because you and I come from this world of, uh, both of us have a lot of in common about how you open students up to that global um, landscape in terms of learning and um authentic audiences and connecting kids with the world. And I feel like, I know maybe we don't have the research to back it up right now. Yeah. You and I both know is that I am not the only, or even maybe the best teacher for them with everything. Of course I'm not. And just the fact that I can open them to an authentic audience would change engagement. Right. So, I can guide that process so that we focus on what we want to focus on. But if you have kids sitting at home right now and they have access to the world, the reason that it, it, it like doesn't jive with us, I think if kids are learning faster is because Mm -hmm. we're looking at it through the lens of what we thought teaching supposed to be like teaching supposed to be that I show you how to learn English teaching supposed to be that I'm going to go through this process of phonetics with you, or I'm going to go through the sight words, or I'm going to co-create some text with you that I, 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 Mm. as the teacher, what really worked very well is when I stepped aside and guided and facilitated 
some learning yes. that I, it, I don't, I'm, they're not empty vessels and I'm not right. the only one to pour knowledge into them. Right. So I'm yeah. sure kids are possibly learning right now yeah. uh, and using everything. Maybe they're using their entire repertoire of language and in their classroom, it wasn't yeah. as easy to do that. Who, who knows? Sure. Who knows they're able sure, to tap yeah. in? Yeah, that whole idea of student voice and choice is so mm -hmm. important. And I know in the classroom situation with standards and things like that, we can't always do that. But it's very important to incorporate in that into as much as we can do. I've, I've found students, even younger students, have so many wonderful ideas. And oh, yeah. maybe it's the fact that they're not they're not learning in a specific pattern you know they're they're able to sort of detour off and come back on personalize their learning right so maybe individualize their learning you yeah. know with interesting eileen it, yeah. it just to kind of come back full circle and because your show is, is is about this is i was trying so hard to have them feel belonging in the classroom and we yeah. accomplished that with uh, that social contract and different uh, conversations we right. had and um, then, of, of course, eventually they felt they were part of the school, you know, they're mainstream now and everything sure. and part of the community and they're honored. But we could quickly, before we even had that culture across the school, really, I could quickly connect them to um, where, where they would get a sense that they belonged in the world. Mm. So it was super powerful to connect wow. these kids because they were middle schoolers. At one point we were Skyping and connecting with fourth graders that were in our same district, but in another building, like okay. they were more nervous to talk to other kids in our same building, but kids in the, in the, um, in the internet, <laughs> that yeah. class that yes. they're never going to see in real life. They right. didn't feel they would talk That's to so them. Interesting. And then since those kids were younger, yeah. they felt that, and they do have things to teach those sure. students about the sure, world, yeah. about, you know, it just happened that yeah. we were both fourth and seventh grade learn yeah. about Texas history here. So we could yes. show them some things that we were learning with our standards yeah. that we were doing in units of study. Yeah, it, it gave them a sense of ownership of the information also, something that they could they could impart on someone else um, and also could share with them because there were common interests, which I think is it, really, really important too. Absolutely. So what, yeah. you, what you help us remember with this word belonging, with this theme belonging, is that people have to feel, if you want them to engage right. and it, with authenticity, they have to feel that they are important. Yes. They have to feel important. Yes. And if they feel important, I mean, think about your own life. Where do you feel important mm -hmm. and where do you not? Right. And if, you, if you're in a learning situation and you don't feel important in your own learning and your PD and things like that, how mm -hmm. are you engaging with it? But look at us on Twitter yes. where, we, where we all feel important because yes. we share with each other, That's right? true. So yes. Students, I mean, it, it's all the same, right? Yes, if yes. If you feel important, that student voice when they're out there in, if I can connect them with people in the world that help them see that you are so important, then these things happening in their geographic, you know, daily yes. life, they can put that better in perspective. Sure. That is not how the world feels about you. That yeah. is maybe how other 13 year olds, because they're 13 or yes. 13 years, <laughs> that yes. is not, that yes. is not 
the bigger picture and learning started happening really quickly when kids started feeling like scholars. And from day one, uh, that's how I would get them back together. I'd had a saying that a guy showed me, Joseph Maurer showed me, you say we are, and they all say scholars and they sit at attention because we, because I'd let them be Amazing. relaxed and talk yes, in whatever yes. language and be relaxed. Yes. But you know, as a teacher, sometimes I have to say something important and everybody has to, I have to have eyes right. on me. And so, but the fact that they were calling themselves scholars, scholars, and they are, mm. it's that belonging in the system of learning, belong, yes. what, is, what is learning? Do you yes. have to go with the same yes, route as yes. people? Yeah. And that's what the whole idea of self-belonging that, you know, that self-efficacy, that belief that I can do it, you know, that self-awareness, but that, that whole feeling that I do have the ability to, to help myself. And, and I, I do have the capability, even though all these years I wasn't in school. And when I first came in the first couple of weeks of school, I was completely lost. Um, so they don't give up on themselves. Yeah. Yes. So, That's the name of the game. Yeah. Help them keep their head in the game. Yeah. Help them feel that they can. Right. And before you know it, you can look back just a couple of weeks and show them growth. Right. And as soon as they start seeing growth and you layer in kids who, you know, last year's kids, look yeah. where they are and all of those things and every day making them see that they are important in the world. Right. Heck, man, the phonetics. I can do phonics lessons. I can slip in phonics lessons all along the way now. Sure. Because of the bottom, you know, yeah. uh, um, it wasn't the foundation of what we did, but you have right. to help uh, yeah. balance the the literacy, you know, uh, instruction in in ways. But I could do so many things. Sure. Once we were all in a different mindset. Mindset. Yeah, that's very important. The mindset. Carol, this has been wonderful, and I hate to yeah, see it end. So I hope <laughs> I know. I hope you can come back on at least one more time, but maybe even more than that. Um, I know you've given us a lot to think about and, and a lot of different advice. But um, I'd love for you. Of course, I put it in the show notes too. But I'd love for you to tell people who are listening to this um, podcast and want to get right and find out more about you where where's the best place to find you where where should they go to look for you well um you probably the the best place is to find the podcast out there and that's um if you google carol salva esl you'll find me right away but to find the podcast specifically i have a landing page it's a short link Mm -hmm. um actually they can just go to my blog and if they go to my blog and look in the menu, they can click podcast and see all the episodes and see other things, videos and things that I have out the book. And uh, again, you don't need to buy the book because I have a book study that you can do without the book because I have posts for every week of that. So go to my blog and that's salvac.edublogs.org and you'll find everything there. All right. Sounds good. And even though you said they don't need the book, I would say get a hold of it anyway, because it's a, it's a really valuable resource. So I'm so grateful to my PLN, to you, to Anna Mattis, to everybody that helped write that. It's a very easy read. And, um, and I just love that it is so popular because I think that's, that's the kind of thing I needed then. Something, an easy read that has some real high yield impact, high impact strategies. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of that, I do the same. I do a, a podcast also called the Boosting Achievement ESL Podcast. And they can find that too on everywhere you find your podcast. So thank you, Eileen. Thank, thank you, you for everything again, you Carol. Thank, thank you for you. everything you do. I'm uh, honored. Thanks. Thanks. Back yeah. at you. Okay. I can't <laughs> wait to meet you for real, for real. I hope so. Thanks again. Yes. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast, Journeys to Belonging. Um, and the next episode will be out in two weeks. In the meantime, you can connect with me on Twitter at Eileen Winokur, I-L-E-N-E-W-I-N-O-K-U-R, or on Instagram at Eileen underscore W. And you can also find my blog uh, at the website https colon forward slash forward slash cultures dot build. See you in two weeks.